in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So this week on the show, Tim Swartz is our special or super special guest co-host. He said special wasn't enough. He wanted to be super califragilistic. No, he doesn't want to do that because I don't even want to say that word. <laughs> I, can, I can say it over to Please, but don't. <laughs> our guest is John LeMay, who's written a number of books covering history of the Southwest, cryptozoology, UFOs, and cinema history. And I may want to ask him about Dave Yer stood still because it had so much of an influence on the UFO field. But the most interesting thing about John LeMay is that he was born, you were born there or did you live there? No, I was born in Roswell, New Mexico. I've never left. You are now, as we speak, in Roswell, New Mexico. I am. And in your basement is the crashed spaceship, right? <laughs> no, I, I just have a tiny piece of the memory metal I found on the debris field, and that's it. Not really. I wish. <laughs> well, you know, being a native, obviously the advantage in Roswell to being a tourist attraction is tremendous. But what do you think really happened? So I do think it was an actual UFO crash. Whether or not they were aliens, I mean, that's debatable. I mean, that, that kinda, that's kind of where I'll get into that John Keel territory. I'll argue, were they aliens? Were they demons somehow? That sort of thing. But something definitely crashed in the desert. And why I believe that is because I met some of the uh, witnesses who saw the debris and they were good, respectable people. I don't think they were lying. And yes, they, they did publish books on it, made a little money, but it was a very honorable generation overall. So if they all tell the same story and say it happened, uh, that's what makes me a believer. Well, of course, we always try to wonder what would have happened. Other theories are that it was some kind of government experimentation. Yes, and I, uh, I might recommend a friend of mine to you named Guy Malone who has a theory that the whole thing was a smokescreen for something else, that he could really talk in depth about that. But just because of the witnesses, though, I, I do tend to think it was what they said they saw with the little men with the big black eyes and, and the strange debris that when you would crumple it up into a ball, it would straighten itself back out again. Well, we're not going to go into a debate about Roswell. It's certainly, I tend to think a lot of what we've heard about Roswell is unfortunately not correct and has not sustained itself over the years part of it being that the memories of what happened didn't emerge because no one asked them about it until over 30 years after the original event and pop culture had made such a difference but let's get on to other stuff here because that could be more and more interesting especially since you've followed some of the writings of john keel i'm going to ask you a question yeah, out of left field here, John, since you're following the field. Last week, we had Colm Kelleher. He's the microbiologist who worked with Robert Bigelow, and he'd been at Skinwalker Ranch and everything. And he talked about something called a hitchhiker effect. People seeing UFOs, and that attracts other phenomena. And they suffer physical symptoms as a result. Had you heard of anything like this? Yeah, absolutely. And again, that goes back to Keel. He took note of the fact that 
people who see Bigfoot, people who see ghosts, people who see UFOs, sometimes they seem to attract strange things for some reason. Because what are the odds that they would experience all three? And again, when Keel investigated Mothman in the late 1960s, he did encounter poltergeists, UFOs, men in black, cryptids. And that's why he came to the belief that they were all somehow related. So, yeah, no, I, I hadn't heard it called the hitchhiker theory exactly, but it does make sense to me. Have you ever seen anything strange and or unusual? Yes, and it really wasn't that big of a deal to me. This sounds funny. I was just sitting with my aunt and uncle. They have a hot, hot tub kind of out in the country. We we're just sitting there one night, and we did see what I would call a UFO in the sense that I couldn't tell what the body of the craft was. It was just a bright light that we assumed was just a regular airplane, but all of a sudden it just ascended thousands of feet into space until it totally disappeared, and it did it. You know, Again, it was kind of flying like you'd expect an airplane to fly, but then all of a sudden it just went straight up and totally disappeared, and it couldn't have been any craft that normal people, normal citizens know of. So it had to be either an experimental craft or, or something you know, beyond this world. So it, was, it didn't actually make that big of an, an impact on me, to be honest with you. It didn't freak me out, but it, it might have freaked me out more. I could have actually seen the details and seen what the craft looked like. So yeah, I've just had a very, very routine sighting, and that is it. Now, how did you get interested in these subjects? Because you live in Roswell? Was that the key factor or what? You know, that's the irony of it. As a kid, I was probably less interested in aliens than anything because of that. But what I did like, I love Bigfoot. I love the Loch Ness Monster, or in other words, cryptozoology. You talk about how I like uh, sci-fi movies. I love dinosaurs. So for me as a kid, to find uh, books about how supposedly maybe dinosaurs had survived into the modern era... I think I read a lot uh, of books by Daniel Cohen when I was a kid because he wrote for that age group. So that's what really got me interested was more so cryptozoology. And then UFOs I got in basically because I had to because I live here. You know, I mean, it's it's easily accessible. You know, as I said, I knew some of the witnesses and, and things like that. What choice did you have? Do you have a day job that we could point to? Well, not anymore. I mean, it's pretty mundane. My, my family used to run a mobile home park. I worked there. I would write books on the side. But at this point in my life, I'm up to 30 books. And at 30 books, I can just siphon the royalties off of those and get by kind of comfortably. I mean, Roswell is a very, the cost of living in Roswell is very low compared to other cities. So maybe, it, you know, I couldn't do this in New York or, or some big town like that. But here in Roswell, 30 books is, is enough to get by on. Well, that's a good way if you can get away with it. How big a city is Roswell? It's about 50,000 people. The official census will always place it maybe at 48,000 or something, but I'm, I'm sure there's several thousand people that are in the city that haven't been counted, and it's, it's actually about 50. Well, especially the ones with big heads and small bodies. Yeah, I set you up for that one pretty easily, I see. Yes, you do. A good setup. I will congratulate you for that, for that great, really, really good setup. Now, talking about all this stuff, you're interested in cinema history. And I yeah. know that you, you were co-author of a book about the real cowboys and aliens. Did that come out around the time the film came out? Yes, and that's that's exactly why it did come out, is uh, with all that hype leading up to it, my co-author and I, Noe Torres, who is an actual ufologist or, you know, UFOologist, ufologist from Texas, yes. uh, we just decided uh, 
you know, I mean, everybody's all excited for this movie, but the general public doesn't realize that there were a sizable amount of uh, UFO cases back in the Old West. So um, we kind of cheated, though, on the book because we wanted to beat the movie. So we decided instead of doing an adult-level book, we, we just did a kid's book kind of written at the uh, middle age level. So, um, But that was just the first one. Uh, he and I have since gone on to adapt it to an adult reading level. And, uh, you know, back in 2011, when we wrote it, they didn't have this massive newspaper archive online just right at your fingertips. Now that we have that, uh, Noe and I have done about six additional books on, on UFOs in the Old West and in the very early 20th century, and we do write those on an actual adult level. I think a lot of people are uh, surprised to hear that there was UFO activity prior to 1947. Yeah, and it's just back then they would call them airships because uh, they just hadn't coined the, coined the term uh, unidentified flying object yet. But So if, if you want to do some searching on your own, you would just get on newspaper.com and type in keyword airship and you will find thousands of results. We've got John LeMay. With special guest co-host Tim Swartz, you're in the Paracast. Hey listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, the Paracast dot plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. You've heard that supply lines are down or moving slow. Or moving slow. And that most everything costs more these days. Costs more these days. But good news. High-quality Sunny Bay products are in stock and ready to ship now because they're made in the USA. Like our extra-long neck heating pads, they provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs, are microwavable, and come in a variety of colors and patterns. What a great gift! An extra-long neck heating pad from Sunny Bay, also available in lavender-scented. Buy now in time for the holidays and avoid any shipping delays. Available on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, and sunny-bay.com. Just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. They're great for men or women, are reusable, and easy to clean. So this year, give the gift of pain relief and extra long neck wrap from Sunny Bay. Remember, just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Order now when our stock is high and shipping is fast. And happy holidays from Sunny Bay. As Dr. Wallach says, we all have nutrient deficiencies in our diets and must supplement with 90 essential nutrients in proper balances. At no cost or obligation, 
Get a personal certified holistic health coach to help you develop a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833-VITAL-90. That number to call is 833-848-2590. That's 833-VITAL-90. Hey folks, Tom D. for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, ghosts, zombies, UFOs, crop circles, and more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people who seek a little more than the other dating services offer. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and you want to connect with others, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. So many people want to share their experiences with the paranormal, the afterlife, the unusual, and this is the place to meet and share common interests with those of like minds. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word GEORGE and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like. Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamil Bookaboo from TeamG'day.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to teamgaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's teamgaday.com with longevity. Teamgaday.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. John, Noe has been on the Paracast before, at least once, that I could see back in 2012. So we enjoyed having him on. And you said you did how many books with him? Five? I can't even keep track. It's uh, five, six. I'm not sure yet. Maybe even seven. That's that's how bad it is. Noe and I are just so busy cranking these things out. It's hard to keep track of. Because we, like I said, some we did for kids, some we did for adults. And sometimes I don't even count the kids' books because they just came together so easy. Now, the book Cowboys and Aliens, and I'm thinking of the movie... I saw the movie. I wasn't nuts about it. I had some good ideas, and I had a feeling that they had done their research in terms of the UFO field before writing the script. But it really didn't do well, and I think part of it is because it's something that the public wasn't really able to glom onto. What do you think? Yeah, I think people liked the idea of that movie more so than they liked the movie itself. I, you know, I don't ever want to talk down about that movie. I, I did enjoy it. And my funny story about that movie is I did a lot of interviews with, with different news outlets because of it. I think the Huffington Post contacted Noe and I first, and they, they had asked us, well, what do you think about how they portrayed aliens? And Noe and I would just answer the honest truth, which is that movie's based on a comic book series. That you know They weren't really looking for any type of historical accuracy. And the reporter would always take that answer and make the headline out of it, which was, UFO researchers say Cowboys and Aliens movie totally false, which made us look like morons, like we were upset about it, and we weren't. you know. And then uh, 
same thing. I think somebody from the Albuquerque Journal called me, and I was joking with the reporter. I was like, "Yeah, they totally misquoted me. It made it look like uh, I was upset about this movie." And then once they were done, they did the same thing to me. So it made me uh, learn to be really careful what I say to reporters. If there is an did. axe to grind, certainly. But we should mention, by the way, Cowboys and Aliens from 2011 starred Daniel Craig, not Bond, Mr. Bond, but Daniel Craig <laughs> and Harrison Ford, believe it or not, and Olivia Wilde. Now, I looked up the movie's box office. It never made back the original budget. The original budget was $163 million. It made back $174 million worldwide. And the problem with that sounds good, right? It's not good because of one reason. A movie has to make at least twice the production cost to even begin to break even. And if it's one of these superhero movies, like a Justice League, they've got to add another 50 or $100 million for the promotion. So it's kind of sad. They lost a lot of money on that movie. The production cost of that movie was a lot higher than I thought it was. That's a pretty expensive movie to make. Well, you know, you're paying Harrison Ford. You're paying Daniel Craig. Olivia Wilde hadn't been a big star. She's mostly known now for doing movies and directing, but tend to be smaller movies. I remember her because she was one of the members of the ensemble of House, the TV series, if you remember that. But that's part of it right there. You're paying two A-list actors, and they're getting all sorts of money up front and back end and foreground and everything. Well, I remember when uh, the movie was in production, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of press about it. And uh, I think that there, a lot of people were eagerly awaiting for it to come out. But uh, obviously, <laughs> the... Uh, uh, pre-production press went far and beyond the actual movie. Well, let's let's go past that. I mentioned that because obviously it was a reason for Noe and for John to write a book. But when I think of sci-fi movies, I think of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Not the one with Keanu Reeves, but the original with Michael Rennie. Because that was the forebear of many of the UFO contact claims from the early 50s. Have you done much research, John, into that movie? So the only way in which I've done research into that movie, uh, I do a, another publication on the side called the, the Lost Films Fanzine, where I dig up unproduced movie scripts. So in terms of what you were really asking, no... Not, not in terms of like the real-life contactee, but I did dig up, and it's not hard to do, by the way. It's not like I found it, and only I found it. Some, somebody put it online, but Ray Bradbury wrote a sequel called The Day the Earth Stood Still 2, I think it was. And I, I did read that and kind of review it for my little Lost Films magazine. So that's the only research I've ever done on The Day the Earth Stood Still. But I love the original. I did get to see that. On the big screen, actually, because Roswell, during their 50th anniversary UFO festival in, in 1997, they showed that theatrically here. So I, I actually got to see it in the theater. You know, I was born in 1985, so usually movies from, let's say, 1955 on up are kind of okay. But I, I t tend to prefer movies from the 70s on up because movies from the 50s kind of can sometimes be a little bit too slow for me. But 
The Day the Earth Stood Still I love. I think it's a fantastic film. It keeps me completely uh, entertained and, and absorbed in the story. So I, I do think very highly of that film. And of course, the tall, handsome man in the silvery uniform became a staple amongst UFO contactees. I think particularly of George Adamski, but later Howard Menger. And Howard Menger had prepared some paintings of the UFOs he saw, and those paintings look surprisingly like the spacecraft in the scenes it was leaving Earth towards the end of day the Earth stood still. The other thing, of course, we should know as far as trivia is the director, Robert Weiss, was also director of Star Trek, the motion picture, and the sound of music, by the way, and was someone who actually believed in UFOs. You were talking about uh, Ray Bradbury. I'm talking about Robert Weiss, the director. Well, yeah, but uh, uh, which I happen to uh, have met uh, Robert Weiss uh, several times and uh, had uh, had dinner with him uh, once. But uh, John was uh, mentioning uh, Ray Bradbury, who had wrote the, uh, uh, I guess, a, a novelization sequel to The Day the Earth Stood Still. And that uh, Bradbury was not a UFO believer. In fact, uh, he insisted that the uh, phenomena wasn't real because if it was, somebody would have told him. Say what? <laughs> Ray Bradbury said uh, one time when he was being interviewed whether or not he believed in UFOs. And, you know, he said, no, he did not. And, and they asked, well, well, why? And he goes, well, if UFOs were real, somebody would have told me about it. That's uh, he 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 thought that I guess that uh, and I and don't get me wrong I love Ray Bradbury's uh, uh, writing, but I guess he thought he was important enough that uh, somebody would have clued him in on uh, the big secret if uh, UFOs were real or not. Oh boy! Well, we don't want to get into the <laughs> egos involved there. John Lemay is joining us, author of over thirty books. More coming. He wants to be the next Nick Redfern, but he's only what thirty six years old. He's one yep. one year older than my son, Grayson. Our guest co-host is Tim Swartz. I'm Gene Steinberg. I'm old as the hills. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. You 
USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. The accused Michigan mass shooter's mother cries at her Saturday arraignment on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. And how are you pleading to count one? Not guilty. That is, James and Jennifer Crumbly were arraigned on those involuntary manslaughter charges. Their 15-year-old son allegedly used a gun that the parents bought him to shoot four people dead and wound seven others at his high school north of Detroit a few days ago. President Biden and Russia's Vladimir Putin plan a video call on Tuesday. It's coming at a time as tensions have grown over the massive Russian troop buildup along its border with Ukraine. Secretary of State Antony Blinken saying this week the U.S. has evidence Russia is planning to conduct a large-scale attack on that state, but Russia has been denying it. And this is USA Radio News. Former CNN anchor Chris Cuomo is talking about his termination from the network. On his Twitter, he said on Saturday evening that it isn't how he wanted his time at CNN to end, and he thanked his colleagues, calling them a group of very special people. CNN confirming on Saturday they had fired Cuomo. After more information came to light about just how much Cuomo had helped his brother amidst sexual harassment allegations that Governor, well, then Governor Andrew Cuomo faced, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger is reportedly telling some inside that organization that this is his final season. Down a level, as sports anchors would say, Alabama is the champion of the Southeastern Conference after defeating the top-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. 41-24, the win securing Alabama's seventh SEC title in the past 10 seasons. Find us online at usaradio.com. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Enough of the hills, enough of the hills. Now, there was one other sci-fi film that had a UFO influence, but John, this one, I don't know if you know. What UFO book influenced Earth versus the Flying Saucers? Uh, I can't remember the title, but was it uh, authored by like Donald Kehoe or somebody like that? Yes, Flying Saucers from Outer Space. Okay. It says suggested by. And there was a bit of a story, which I've mentioned before, so I'll keep it brief, where Hollywood acquired the writes to Keo's book. I think he was led to believe or made himself believe it was going to be a documentary. 
And of course, as people who have dealt with Hollywood know, unless you have some kind of production credit or rights, they can take your property and do anything they want with it. Almost. Okay. So what they did here is they have an opening sequence of what, 30 seconds of Earth versus the flying saucers, where they talk about real UFO sightings. And then it's a standard sci-fi aliens on the loose film. I mean, very well done for a B-movie. It had special effects from Ray Harryhausen. In some ways, the flying saucer had similar design to the one in Day the Earth Stood Still, but I think was more advanced. Kehoe was kind of mortified over what they did. Not that was a bad film. I don't know if he, if he even liked sci-fi, although he wrote adventure stories. But this film, as I said, it's one of the better B-movies. But it was obviously not a factual movie. Of course, Close Encounters of the Third Kind was also based on UFO literature, especially from Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And the story about that I'll give you is very simple. That they never told Dr. Hynek they were making that film. When he found out, he contacted them and they gave him that cameo towards the end of the film where you see him stroking his beard. And they paid him, what, $3,500 for a film that grossed, what, over a billion? That's Hollywood for you. I'm surprised they paid him that much. Yeah, well, he was Dr. Hynek. <laughs> well, he didn't even have any lines, so I'm surprised they just didn't uh, pay him scale and uh, give him a lo- uh, lunch, and that was it. Well, the other thing, of course, is the... French UFO researcher who speaks constant French, a famous movie director, that character supposedly is based on Jacques Vallée. But anyone who knows Jacques Vallée would know there was no possible resemblance in the way the character was portrayed. Just appearances only. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) In terms of UFO-oriented films, John, of the films that you've looked into, do you have a favorite? Well, you've really, I hate to sound so stereotypical, but I mean, the two we've talked about really probably are my favorites, which is Close Encounters, which is pretty accurate to the 1970s type UFO encounters. And then Day the Earth Stood Still is is very intelligent. So I definitely prefer that to like Earth versus the Flying Saucers and movies like that. Well, I was I was going to I was going to say real quick here, uh, uh, Gene, that uh, you look, though, at pop culture and movies when it comes to the uh, to UFOs, and uh, you know, just take for example uh, Japanese films, uh, so many Japanese films, the aliens arrive, travel around in the stereotypical flying saucer. Oh, Tim, Tim, if I may, you you jog my memory to a UFO movie that I love Go that for nobody it. nobody knows about. Nobody listening to this this show has probably heard of it because it's from Japan. Never got dubbed into English, got a got an English release of any kind. So it's from the Godzilla studio, you know, Toho. It's called Blue Christmas, just like the Elvis Presley song, Blue Christmas. And it's about people that have seen UFOs in the skies. And after they see them, their blood turns blue. And it's kind of like a political thriller, like uh, Three Days of the Condor mixed uh, with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Really good, really depressing movie about how the the Japanese government then decides they need to exterminate all the people whose blood has turned blue. Really cool movie. If you can find it made 1978, I I think shortly after close encounters. 
Now, the films they made weren't always kind to the government, or, as a matter of fact, to, well, for example, Godzilla. Godzilla is the ultimate folly of nuclear testing. We create this hellish creature. Hello? Oh, yeah, sorry. I, th- I think on radio shows, I'm used to like I'm used to only speaking when I'm being spoken to, and I always wait to, to get asked a question. You know what I mean? Because I hate it when I I accidentally jump in and interrupt the host. So I don't I worry didn't about know you were give- if, if there's a time to jump in if as needed. We're not going to okay. be that structured. Go ahead, please. Yeah, well, if if you were setting me up to talk about my Godzilla books, thank you, because that's actually more than UFOs, more than the uh, cryptozoology. I think the the genre I'm best known for is the nonfiction Godzilla film histories I do, and I, I did one called The Lost Films, which was about the Godzilla movies that they wrote but never actually shot. So yeah, I I love Godzilla movies, and um, that is ironically enough probably what I'm best known for. Now I remember when they brought the original Godzilla to this country, if I remember the right movie. They added footage with Raymond Burr playing an American reporter in Japan to give it a more domestic feel, make it warm and fuzzy for the American audience. That's that's right, because back then they weren't really in the habit of just taking, a, especially a Japanese-language film, and just dubbing it into English and kind of letting it sink or swim. They felt like it it absolutely could not succeed without an American, or, or at least a Caucasian in the lead role. And um, it definitely, I think it was the right move. I think it helped the movie um, be more accessible to English-speaking audiences. But in the future, though, Godzilla, typically they wouldn't do that. They would just dub them into English, and that was that. Of course, there's another film that had some kind of a famous effect, The Mysterians, because this is a 1950s sci-fi film. One of the better ones. And then the name of the Mysterians was acquired or used by a rock band in the 1960s. And thus you had Question Mark and the Mysterians. And that's where he got it from. And of course, their famous song is 96 Tears. I don't know if I'm sure Tim knows what the song was or is. John, that's certainly way, way before your time. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard. I, I knew that there was a rock band that took that name, but I, yeah, I've never heard any of their music that I'm aware of. Well, I think after '96 Tears, there isn't much except that question mark. Rudy Martinez was his real name. He officially changed it to question mark. He is still performing, but if you catch his early shows, he's he's very thin and athletically built, very thin. And the way he dances and prances, you could look into a famous rock star who watched this guy and imitated him. And that's Mick Jagger. <laughs> but you take a look at early recordings of Question Mark and the Mysterians and Question Mark doing his thing. Then look at Mick Jagger and tell me if you don't see a resemblance. You know, you were talking about uh, Raymond Burr being uh, uh, cut into the original 
Japanese uh, uh, Godzilla. I have to uh, admit the, uh, uh, the the studio that was responsible for shooting Raymond Burr's scenes and then editing him into uh, the, uh, the original movie, they did a fairly good job. I mean, you know, when I saw the movie originally as a kid uh, you know, on television, I had no idea. I mean, it, it was a fairly seamless job of editing. You know, we got John LeMay here. We're talking about pop culture, genre films, UFOs, cryptozoology, and so much more to talk about because he's got all those 30 books that we can mention. Our special guest co-host is Tim Swartz. And by the way, John will hang out for our uncensored After the Paracast podcast. You're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First game, Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. No other network provides the level of customer service we do. When it comes to radio advertising, we are your one-stop shop. And no matter how big or small your business is, we can help. Email us at advertise at GCNlive.com and an experienced advertising executive will help you take the first step towards driving more customers to your business or website. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special 
DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Investors, listen up. There's been incredible demand in the market for companies focused on strategic mineral exploration. And right now, mineral discovery groups are piling into British Columbia's prolific Golden Triangle due to the massive discovery potential. China's economy is slowing down. Consumer goods remain in short supply. Pandemic-induced disruptions continue to affect global supply chains. And now the markets are bracing for interest rate hikes. All of this reads like a recipe for paying attention to companies focused on precious metals and in-demand minerals. Find out about the hottest companies leading the charge to revolutionize the multi-billion dollar mineral exploration market for free when you text the word hot to 71441 for your free subscription to dearwallstreet.com text the word hot to 71441 now to get information on these hot companies that we've identified get free intelligence on this hot market delivered directly to your mobile device from dearwallstreet.com when you text the word hot to 71441 text and data rates may apply text hot to 71441 This is Big the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan. I think Sesame Street is taking over the Paracast there. <laughs> At least Tim Swartz, you sound like a Sesame Street character. <laughs> uh, could be, could be. <laughs> Uh, I upset my wife, who is a big Sesame Street fan, by the way, by imitating various Sesame Street characters. And, you know, it's, that's, that's a cardinal sin for her. So, of course, I do it all the time. And the reason his face is red on both sides is because his wife slaps him when he does it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we won't, go, we, we won't go into our domestic now, situation. One of the tropes in sci-fi films is the presence of dinosaurs. And I'm looking at your credits here, John LeMay, and you focused with your Cowboys and Saurian series on remnant dinosaurs and cryptids reported in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Tell me more. Yeah, so that was an offshoot of uh, the Cowboys and Aliens book because it, it had done pretty well. Back in 2011, and I was just itching to do something similar. And, uh, you know, there's this famous story I might talk a little bit more on later about the tombstone pterodactyl of 1890, where these two cowboys allegedly shot a, a pterodactyl outside of Tombstone, Arizona. So I started thinking, you know, I'm sure you could do a whole book just like we did with the cowboys and aliens, but with cowboys allegedly encountering remnant dinosaurs and cryptids. And I was really blown away because I only intended to do one Cowboys and Saurians book. And I, I just decided that was a more interesting title than Cowboys and Dinosaurs. Um, Saurians is just an antiquated term for any type of big reptile back then, for, for anyone who's not familiar with it. Because a lot of people do stop and ask me, well, what's a, a Saurian? And I assume you know most people connect the dots between dinosaur and Saurian, but some people don't. So I just thought I'd mention it. Anyways, I've done uh, four of those books now. Again, I only intended to do one, 
But when I started my research uh, looking for these newspaper articles on cowboys who encountered just giant reptiles, there were so many. I realized if I were to try and include them all in one book, I'd, I'd be working on it forever. So the first round, I just decided to kind of just pick the best of them. And then I set some some others aside for later. And kind of I kind of categorized them like I have another Cowboys and Saurians book that deals mostly with Ice Age type megafauna like mammoths and saber-toothed tigers. Um, I, I did a variation of Cowboys and Saurians just down in South America. But there are more Cowboy versus Dinosaur newspaper stories than there are Cowboy alien airship stories. And then the other good side effect though, of doing the Cowboys and Saurians book is it got Noe Torres and I to reconnect after almost 10 years and finally resume doing the Cowboys and Aliens books. So, again, just with the modern newspaper archive that's online now, you know, I have it so easy compared to someone like Jerome Clark. And I, I want to bring up Jerome Clark because I really respect him because I know that he dug up a lot of the really weird old newspaper stories from the 1800s. And I know when he did it, he had to do it, you know, by a microfish probably or actual newspapers. Whereas Noe and I just search our keyword and we get 100 results at once and we, we just go wild with it. It's very easy to write those books and it's a lot of fun. Well, let's talk about the creatures being seen. Do we feel that at one time, maybe not so much recently, there were legacy dinosaurs of some sort, creatures that were, for all practical purposes, dinosaurs still hanging around? Absolutely. And here's the easiest uh, answer I can give to that. 10 or 20 years ago, if you said you unequivocally, 100% you believed in aliens and UFOs, People would think you were a little kooky, you were a little strange, you'd be on the fringe. But today, we've got the government actually releasing footage of UFOs. The media basically admits that they're real, and now it's not weird to believe in UFOs anymore just because the government says it's okay to. Well, why would all the people who claim they saw the Loch Ness Monster, who claim they saw Bigfoot, why is that any different? I don't think that it is. I just don't think mystery animals are as big of a deal as UFOs for the government to become involved and do any type of disclosure on that. But, you know, people have claimed to have seen dinosaurs since ancient, ancient times. You know, I mean, you'll find aboriginal paintings of dinosaurs in Australia. You will find uh, cave paintings of dinosaurs here in North America. There's one along the Grand Canyon area. You know, and again, people just... It's not all the time, but people do occasionally claim to see a dinosaur-type creature, and typically it's either going to be the flying variety, like a pterodactyl, where it'll be uh, a water-dwelling prehistoric reptile known as the uh, Plesiosaurus, because there are a lot of lake monsters out there. So that's typically what you'll see, and, and then pretty rarely... You might see a theropod or, or bipedal dinosaur that walks on two legs. And you had mentioned the Skinwalker Ranch earlier. And even though the Skinwalker Ranch is you know, known for skinwalkers, they have had a, uh, a raptor sighting, as in the raptor from Jurassic Park. They've had a raptor sighting at the Skinwalker Ranch. So very rarely you know, those types of dinosaurs will pop up as well. 
Well, and as uh, uh, John probably knows from uh, uh, all of his research, there are still people today saying that they have seen dinosaur-like uh, creatures, especially, you know, out west, uh, Four Corners areas, places like that. Yeah, and so when, when Tim brings that up, you know, or Tim, are you talking about the, what's, you said Four Corners, are you talking about the Colorado uh, River dinosaurs? Yes. Okay, cool. I'm glad you mentioned that because believe it or not, I guess I should explain what they are first to listeners. They're just little tiny theropod dinosaurs. Um, there's a really long name for one of them that starts with a C that I, I'm not intelligent enough to pronounce, but they're the little dinosaurs that eat a guy in Jurassic Park, The Lost World. There's just all these little dinosaurs that gang up on them and eat them. I think they're supposed to be like that. Um, allegedly, little dinosaurs like that are sighted, like Tim said, al- along the Four Corners area. But I also met a man right here in Roswell, New Mexico, who claimed that he saw one along our local Burundo River. And I interviewed him about it. And uh, I have to say, you know, his details with his sighting added up to other people in other regions because they always claim these little dinosaurs are seen along riverbeds. And that's why they're called the Colorado River dinosaurs. So even Roswell has had a dinosaur sighting. How big are these things? Just like three feet, I think. They stand like three feet tall or something like that. I don't remember how long they are when they run with their their neck and the tail tipped to stern and all that. But I think just in terms of height, about three feet. Tim? Well, I was just—I was just going to ask real quick. You know, uh, what uh, what were some of the details about this uh, uh, guy's uh, sighting? It happened during the daytime. Uh, you know, what what happened? It was during the daytime. I remember that much. And and this will go back to our early earlier conversation, Tim. Where, <laughs> and I, I'm regurgitating this for the audience, not for you. But yeah, so you know, I've written thirty books, and um, gosh, I mean, each chapter is its own thing. Where you've got a different location different witness names, uh, different year it took place, different type of creature. So uh, I didn't really read up on the Roswell mini dinosaur before this, so it's not fresh in my mind. But it's it's in a book I wrote called Roswell, USA. <laughs> no problem. I, I know exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you're coming from yeah. on that. I mean, the uh, uh, dates and names and details tend to uh, to all blur together. Uh, you know, well, um, you know, it's you brought up the tombstone pterodactyl, and I, I think that is probably one of the most famous cases with a lot of, uh, of of controversy that's extended up into the 21st century concerning the uh, alleged photograph taken. You want to uh, fill our audience in uh, on that in case they don't know about it? Oh, yeah, that that is absolutely, like I said, the best one. Uh, is The year was 1890, so it was, you know, about nine years after the big shootout at the OK Corral and Tombstone, which is what it was known for. But it was outside of Tombstone, I think, in, in the Huachuca Mountains. I think that's how it's pronounced. Just uh, two ranchers, their names were not given, uh, allegedly came upon this big uh, pterodactyl-like creature. But, you know, I think at the time they described as being like an alligator with wings is kind of what they said. And according to the story, they shot it, they killed it, and they dragged the body back to town. And that's what the article that appeared in the Tombstone epitaph literally said. 
We're going to have more about the dinosaurs, the real-life dinosaurs being seen. John LeMay is here with Tim Swartz. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Pelican. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. These are the sounds of someone taking their eyes off the road. Texting while driving is more than distracting. It's dangerous. Do yourself a favor. Do us all a favor. When you're on the road, stay off the phone. A message from CTIA. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. By the way, Tim is inside the body of a dinosaur when he did that stinger for our last segment. My bad. John, please continue with that description. Yeah, so we're talking about the tombstone pterodactyl shot outside of the, the city famous for the shootout at the OK Corral. You know, allegedly, you know, they kill this dinosaur, they drag it back into town. And that's where the article ends. But over the years, people have claimed that what happened is they, they pinned uh, the wings to the uh, the wall of a barn, and they took a picture of it, like a tin-type photograph. Again, you know, the year was 1890. Now, the article never says anything about a photograph, but, you know, for years and years, uh, people would claim, people like John Keel and Ivan Sanderson, they would claim that they saw a picture of if not a pterodactyl, a giant bird pinned to the side of a, a barn with all these cowboys in front of it. And, uh, you know, back in the pre-internet age, you can take that fairly seriously because, you know, they could have only physically laid eyes on it. 
Now, today, if you type in uh, Tombstone Thunderbird or Tombstone Pterodactyl picture, you'll find a, a ton of really well-done fakes. So today, if someone says, oh, I saw the Tombstone Pterodactyl picture, well, that, that, that no longer matters, you know. But, yeah, for many, many years after this 1890 story, allegedly people would claim, yeah, we saw the Tombstone uh, Pterodactyl photo somewhere, but they could never actually reproduce it. I think uh, Ivan Sanderson claimed that he had a copy and he loaned it to some other researchers and it got lost. And that's always a problem with the story's credibility. But now the big problem with the story's credibility is in the actual article itself published in the Tombstone Epitaph, it says that this pterodactyl was like 100 feet long and pterodactyls were not 100 feet long. The, the biggest one would have like a 40-foot wingspan and that was a, a genus called Quetzalcoatl something. Typically, pterodactyls were not that big. So that's a huge problem with that story, except in later years, I think around like 1910, probably between 1910 up until the 1930s, there were a few people who claimed to meet the real ranchers from the article who claimed to shoot this uh, pterodactyl. And what these guys would always say was, oh, that newspaper wrong was grossly exaggerated. We never said it was that big, and we never sh uh, shot it. They just said, yes, we saw something that looked like a, a dinosaur or, or a flying lizard. We saw it for a while in the desert. It flew away, and that was the end of the story. And then the newspaper um, you know, added to it that, well, it had, uh, you know, it was hundreds of feet long, and they killed it. And I, I guess I can... You would think that just two ranchers seeing a dinosaur in the desert would be interesting enough and that a reporter wouldn't have to embellish it, but who, who knows? But there, there are allegedly real ranchers who saw this thing and, and shot it, who are, of course, you know, by now they've passed on, they're dead, and we still don't know their names, unfortunately. But people did at least claim to meet these guys, which is, is more than you can say for a lot of those articles about cowboys and dinosaurs, because typically... It'll just be an article about this cowboy shot this dinosaur wherever, and, and that's the end of it. You can't find a real witness. You can't find any follow-up story. So I, there's still more credibility to the, the tombstone pterodactyl than you would think. A lot of people who uh, are skeptical about these early uh, newspaper stories often uh, cite, say, like the uh, uh, airship stories from around the same uh, period, saying that these newspapers were well known for uh, printing hoaxes, hoax stories, just to, just to draw uh, readership. In your research, have you come across a way that, uh, you know, you could say, oh, yeah, this, this definitely, uh, this story is not above board? Yeah, I'm I'm at least realistic in the sense that, you know, I have to fess up and admit, you know, some of these stories cannot possibly be true. If I try to prove every single one of them is true and, and I say I believe in every single one of them, nobody's going to believe in this. You know, um, so my opinion is that about maybe 40 to 50 percent of them are real and then 50 percent are definitely what you'd call the yellow journalism fake news not not like today's fake news which is meant to control public opinion but fake news in the sense that back then it was literally a made-up fictional story just published in with the real stories and they would never run a disclaimer 
to tell you it wasn't real. And usually you can only tell that it's made up if it's really far out. Like there was an airship crash in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where the uh, aliens were – they had pink skin and they dressed like Greek Romans. And it's like obviously they're just making a jokey story probably along the lines of drunk seeing pink elephants. I think that was probably why the aliens were pink. So yeah, sometimes, um, but you know, sometimes too, the the stories that sound the most fantastic have the most to back them up. And my favorite is a story from Crosswicks, Ohio, um, that involves a, a carnivorous theropod dinosaur, kind of like a raptor. Not saying that's what it was, but just that type of dinosaur supposedly killed a, a young boy in Crosswicks, Ohio. And I really dug into that one. And uh, there's actually a lot to it. I mean, somebody getting killed by a dinosaur, that's a pretty big deal. You would think that's a made-up story, but I found uh, more validation on that one than I, I did on most others. So it was really interesting. And when when did when did that happen? Was that the uh, 19th century? Yeah, Crosswicks, uh, again, I can't remember the exact year, but my memory is telling me 1883, but definitely mm-hmm. between 1880 and 1890, somewhere in there. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those stories, you know. I mean, it's it's one thing to say that, oh yeah, you know, people may have run across, uh, you know, big uh, big lizards out west, but in Ohio, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, what Ohio? But the Midwest is full of interesting, uh, you know, uh, encrypted stories. Yeah, and, and so it's the little details that give these stories uh, validation. I guess, I guess it's. I don't think that was the word I was looking for, but they help to uh, validate them. That's the word I'm looking for. The little details help to validate these stories. And uh, the odd little detail about Crosswicks was that uh, this creature lived in a hollowed-out tree. And that's an odd detail, I think, to give the story. And then several states over, way, way down, I think over in Oklahoma, the Native Americans there had a legend about a similar creature that looked just like the thing from Crosswicks that, you know, was like a, a bipedal reptile, carnivorous, and it lived in a hollowed out tree. And there's no way that back in 1883, if a reporter was just concocting this story for the heck of it, he was going to be like, well, what can I, you know, I, he couldn't look up things on the internet back then, you know, to, to like, well, I'm going to add this detail to the story or that detail or just the odds of, of those, those, um, two details um it's very strange you know so that's that is what makes me more of a believer in the crosswick story and their historical society there when i talked to them about it they didn't roll their eyes um they they were very familiar with the story and seemed to basically believe it themselves was there any follow-up to that story because i know it it ended with uh, the uh, uh, men chasing it into a cave and they said that you know they were going to wait it out, but uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think there was any follow up to it, was there? So a friend of mine gave me sort of a follow up after the book was published, and it was too late for me to do anything about it. And I can't remember if this story took place before or after, but uh, also in Ohio, in Zanesville, Ohio, hmm. there was a similar story with a similar creature. And I'm not sure what to think of the story yet because they're so similar. I have to wonder, did one writer copy the other writer on this? Or 
did this monster pass through several different towns and people kind of had the same story about it. Um, and I can't remember offhand if in Zanesville, Ohio, if it killed anyone. I kind of think it just was seen. John LeMay is talking about real, allegedly, real-life dinosaurs, not the kind you see in Jurassic Park. we got more to come with John, our special guest co-host, Tim Swartz. I'm Gene Steinberg. That all means you're in the the Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Folks, looks like food shortages are here and going to stick around. Supply chains are breaking down and inflation is back with a vengeance. It's all part of the shortage economy. What used to be unthinkable is now in the headlines. Are you ready? Do you currently have a stockpile of emergency food at home? If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com today and you'll find an emergency food kit that's right for you and your family. My Patriot Supply is the largest preparedness company in America, serving millions of families like yours. Pick up a three-month food kit that stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. The meals in the kit provide over 2,000 delicious calories a day. That's important when you need to survive. Order from MyPatriotSupply.com and your food will ship fast in unmarked boxes to protect your privacy. Don't wait for permission or more empty store shelves. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com now. MyPatriotSupply.com Has your body ever gone low blood sugar feeling weak, shaky, knowing you better eat something fast? We all know high blood sugar can lead to many metabolic problems. At GCNteam.com, we have a healthy blood sugar pack. Focusing on the structure and function of stable blood sugar. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Nothing feels worse than unstable blood sugar. Call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. 
Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. The Thousand Voices of Tim Swartz. 27 and a half, actually. 27, what, a half? What's the half? 27 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the half. <laughs> uh, well, I think that one would be like where, you know, you'd be like, well, and that would be it. <laughs> it's well, like I do Bond, James Bond. That's all I could do. It's the only imitation I could yeah, do when people good, think though. it's bad. John, do you do any imitations? Oh, gosh. Uh, I haven't practiced any lately, so I don't want to. I don't like you to have- film without practicing. <laughs> you imply something there that you've done some in the past. Oh, yeah. I, I imitate my friends here in Roswell, but you, you wouldn't know who they were. So. Okay. <laughs> no, no, not alien friends, just actual human beings. Tell us more about the dinosaurs. Oh, gosh. I just love researching these stories because my, uh, my method is if there's a witness name, I always try to to research the witness as much as I possibly can. And one of the weirdest, uh, wildest stories I found really reminds me of not, maybe not the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth, but the book Journey to the Center of the Earth. Because in the book, uh, you'll remember there's a scene where they go out on a raft in the, the underground ocean and these two plesiosaurs like fight each other by the raft. So I found a, an actual newspaper article that is quite similar to it, where these two men were doing underground river rafting in a big cave in Arkansas. I didn't even know that was really a thing back in the 1800s, but apparently so. Uh, These two men claimed... Actually, this story was written in 1909. I have it right in front of me. These two men claimed, though, that uh, they were riding a raft through an underground river in this cave in Arkansas, and they, they saw a plesiosaur, and they shot at it with a gun. I guess they had a gun with them on their river rafting trip. But my point is, this is one of the more fantastic stories you could ever find. Probably not true, but the witness, uh, he was very, very real. I found all sorts of records on this guy. His name's Albert Nesholm of Illinois. And I contacted uh, his town historical society, and it was so funny because they knew exactly who he was. But when I told them, well, there's this article from Arkansas that says he was, he was in Arkansas on, on his business, which was uh, cattle. And that he saw a dinosaur while he was in Arkansas, and he shot it, and they were just totally blown away because they were like, yeah, he was, he was a real guy. We, we know who he is, but we have never heard this dinosaur story. 
And uh, unfortunately, they weren't really able to help me with anything, but they certainly thought it was amusing. But I mean, my thing, you know, again, back then, a lot of researchers, I think, make the mistake of they'll, they'll try to defend the story. They'll, they'll say like, well, the, the newspaper says that he was a very respectable gentleman. And I'm like, you know, my grandfather was a very respectable gentleman, but he loved to play practical jokes. Respectable <laughs> gentlemen do that. If it doesn't hurt anyone, you know, if it, you're not like deceiving anyone to make money off of them. You know, guys back then would make up stories, so that's not hard for me to believe. Like, like my grandfather here in Roswell, New Mexico, uh, killed a jackrabbit, and he put some antlers on it and strung it up and said that he'd killed a jackalope. And he did convince his friend who lived back east, who was gullible about that stuff, that he had killed a jackalope. I would believe that. There are people who, who, who still believe that the jackalope is an actual creature. Well, maybe it is. I've just never researched jackalopes all that much. Uh, who knows? <laughs> you don't say Jack. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the stories of the uh, 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 furred trout uh, along the uh, in the east. That's it's kind of like the uh, eastern version of the jackalope. Nobody else has heard of that one, huh? <laughs> I've heard of it. I just that one I knew wasn't real, so I never looked into it. But. <laughs> it just it just gets so cold. Yeah, <laughs> you know, out east, it's so cold that the trout have to grow fur to stay warm. <laughs> okay, then when we talk about dinosaurs and such, we inevitably move to the Loch Ness monster. So, John Lemay, is there a Loch Ness monster? Oh, I, I think so. Just too many people have seen it over the years. Uh, the big thing about the Loch Ness Monster is it really shouldn't be a dinosaur because dinosaurs, most of them, they think were cold-blooded. Although there are quite a few who also say, well, no, we think dinosaurs could have been warm-blooded. And I mean, how do you prove it if uh, there are no dinosaurs alive You know, to, to, to actually cut open and see if that's true? So Loch Ness is definitely confusing, again, just because that lake is so cold. But again, you know, so many people see this thing, and it does look quite a bit like a plesiosaurus. They even have the underwater photographs of... Okay, this is my thing. People claim they see something that looks like a plesiosaurus. That's fine. But then people photograph it, and then people... Uh, or the scientists, I think in the late 1970s, set up these underwater motion cameras... And they got a picture of not only what looks like a plesiosaur's neck and head, but also a plesiosaur flipper. To me, it's crazier to sit there and say, well, it was really a gas-propelled log or whatever, when all <laughs> these people claim they see a dinosaur in the lake. Why is it, you know, I mean, the theories the government and the skeptics come up with to, to explain this stuff away are odder and more far-fetched than, than, you know, what they're trying to, to cover up most of the time. Well, I wonder here, why can't we believe that some legacy creatures that may have flourished a long time ago might still be around? Why is that so hard to conceive? I think it's certainly less hard to conceive than maybe that we're being visited by aliens. That's, yeah, that's just, uh, again, you know, I mean, for many years, the government didn't want us to believe in aliens. They always covered it up. Now they seem to be conditioning us and kind of prepping us very gently for this idea that, oh, yes, there are aliens. You have to kind of wonder, why is that? Why now? So, you know, I'm, I'm sure they know things about 
prehistoric survivors and things like that, and you have to wonder why do they cover that up? What's the what's the harm? So it's it's very suspicious. In a lot of the uh, stories in your books where people have seen lake monsters, the resemblance to the modern-day uh, Loch Ness Monster is, is very clear. Yet at the time that these uh, stories uh, originally came out, nobody had ever heard of the Loch Ness Monster. So here you have – I don't think it's a coincidence that you have these similarities – Across the years, across the century, in fact. <laughs> yeah, and you know what, Tim, just by saying that, you jog my memory back to the tombstone pterodactyl, the, something I forgot to bring up, which is before the tombstone pterodactyl, there was the Lake Elizabeth, California monster. Typically, when you say lake monster, we, we automatically go to the serpentine plesiosaurus. But uh, this lake monster, when they call it a, a lake monster, they only meant it lived in the vicinity of the lake. But Lake uh, Elizabeth in 1886, I think it was, had a pterodactyl they would see flying around the lake. And that was reported in newspapers. It was reported in folklore. And oddly enough, around the year 1890, it suddenly disappeared from Lake Elizabeth and was never seen again. You know what's going to disappear, this segment, because another one okay. is waiting in the wings. John, Gene, Tim, you're in. Get Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. danpilla.com. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. Ladies and gentlemen, in America, we don't fear competition. That's U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, who delivered keynote remarks at the Reagan National Defense Forum Summit in Washington on Saturday. Austin going on to say of China, We'll meet the challenges of the 21st century, but we will face them with fortitude and not fear. Democracy has always been our roadmap to success and security, and I wouldn't traded for anyone else's. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, it's going to be zooming with Biden and Putin on Tuesday as the Kremlin has confirmed what the White House said earlier. The two leaders, Biden and Vladimir Putin, will be having a video call discussion on Tuesday, largely discussing that Russian troop buildup along its border with Ukraine. And this is USA Radio News. 
The Michigan mother of an accused school shooter cries as she and her husband are arraigned on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. And how are you pleading to count one? Not guilty. That is James and Jennifer Crumbly were arraigned on those involuntary manslaughter charges. Their 15-year-old son allegedly used a gun that the parents bought him to shoot four people dead and wound seven others at his high school north of Detroit a few days ago. Former CNN anchor Chris Cuomo is talking about his termination from the network. On his Twitter, he said on Saturday evening that it isn't how he wanted his time at CNN to end. CNN confirming on Saturday they had fired Cuomo after more information came to light about just how much Cuomo had helped his brother amidst sexual harassment allegations that then-Governor Andrew Cuomo faced. Country music legend Stonewall Jackson's died at 89, and this is USA Radio News. We are GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. We've got listeners. Lots of them. Around the world, around the clock, our listeners do what listeners do. They listen. And you know what listeners got? Needs. Needs for your products, your services, and money to buy those needs. With our network of over 1,000 radio stations, streaming on the web, and our satellite transmissions, we're reaching our listeners with quality conservative programming. But there's something our listeners don't have. Your offer to meet their needs. Any business needs buyers, but if our listeners don't hear your message, they're still going to buy what they need, just not from your business. So let's fix this. Tell us about your business, then let our super creative department go to work to craft just the right message for our GCN listeners. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just shoot us an email, advertise at GCNlive.com. This is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, John LeMay, you have this point here where the cases did not occur after that period? Yeah, so again, talking about the Lake Elizabeth monster, it disappears in 1890, which just happens to be the same exact year that uh, the pterodactyl was shot out there in Tombstone. So a lot of people connect those dots and say, well, the tombstone pterodactyl was the Lake Elizabeth monster. Even more shocking than that, I really wish I could remember this person's name. Someone recently discovered an article. They discovered a third article pertaining to the tombstone pterodactyl and the Lake Elizabeth monster. What I remember is the article has this thing cited somewhere between tombstone and California. You know, so, so like there is actually a good case you can make that this pterodactyl actually flew eastward from California to Arizona. I mean, it's. I guess the only other option is a newspaper writer concocted all of these stories over the years and carefully plotted them out and had his monster fly from California to, you know, Tombstone, Arizona, or or maybe a monster really just flew from California to uh, Tombstone. Who knows? Well, it kind of makes sense, too, that you have a supposed uh, uh, pterodactyl-type creature seen around a lake because I think, uh, aren't they saying now that uh, they're pretty certain that members of that species and subspecies probably lived around bodies of water and, you know, caught fish like uh, water birds do today? Yeah, that's another great point. Again, you just jog my memory. 
so yeah, so people's perceptions of dinosaurs back in the late 1800s are totally different than how scientists perceive them today. That's a good point. Back in 1890, I don't think they would have known that a pterodactyl would actually hang around the water. Back in the uh, late 1800s, when they depicted bipedal theropod dinosaurs, they thought that they would move like kangaroos. They would kind of envision them as standing like them and bounding around like them, whereas today, a theropod dinosaur, we picture running, you know, just like the ones in Jurassic Park, where the head is in line with the tail. So whenever you find a sighting from the 1800s where, where they see a theropod where the head is in line with the tail, that really uh, legitimizes it in an odd way. Because people back then would not have given that detail. If they were making up the story, they probably would have said, oh, it hopped around like a, a kangaroo. And I, I do have a few stories where the witnesses claimed, well, yeah, this dinosaur hopped around like a kangaroo. And unfortunately, those probably are made up because in all likelihood they they didn't stand like that well that's the question i would ask you there this characteristic the hopping around like a kangaroo is something indicates they made it up the story the question i have is why would they use that characteristic i can't remember which paleontologist it was at the time just theorized that they thought that a theropod dinosaur would walk and get around just like a kangaroo. And then the great dinosaur illustrator, Charles Knight, he would illustrate theropod dinosaurs in that manner. And, and they would walk upright, kind of dragging their tails, just like Godzilla does, because he's a man in a suit. So people back then, they would have seen that in the artwork. Probably more than anything else, they would have just seen the artwork and that's probably where, if they wanted to make up a hoax or a story, they would do that. Uh, but what really throws me is there's a, a, a really great dinosaur story from the Yukon Territory, where people claim they saw a Ceratosaurus. And they did claim that it hopped around like a kangaroo. So that made me think, well, you know, that's a, that's a strike against it. But something a, an odd detail they gave this dinosaur that would not have lined up with the uh, the Victorian era's perception of a dinosaur was they gave it kind of like feathers and hair. Hmm. Now, back then, they didn't put feathers or hair on a dinosaur, whereas today they think there's a good chance some of them did have feathers and hairy fibers and stuff. And the Ceratosaurus, uh, they did claim, had hair. And what's even odder about the Ceratosaurus, they wrote about this thing for literally 20 years. The only reason they stopped writing about it for a little while was because World War I broke out. They got distracted. And when World War I ended, they were still writing about this ceratosaurus of the Yukon. So that one really throws me because, again, it hops like a kangaroo, which it shouldn't do if it's a real dinosaur. But on the other hand, they wrote about this thing for 20 years. I don't think you do that with a hoax typically unless, unless it really catches on, and I don't think it did. So that one's hard to figure out. So now here's something you may not know, but uh, in the, uh, the the South and the Midwest, especially in the 1930s up until the 1950s, there were a series of uh, creature sightings, especially in uh, smaller rural communities, of what people would describe as a screaming kangaroo. When they would see it, it would hop like a kangaroo, though they said it, it looked, it had reptilian types of features and it was fond of uh, you know killing livestock chickens goats you know sheep 
things like that. And when they would find tracks, they would be generally uh, three toes, like a bird or a, a reptile. I had never heard that, but that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah look up, look up, uh, uh, like screaming kangaroo because okay, it would, uh, it would have, you know, like I, I guess, like a, a very vocal, you know, in the woods at night, and that's how, you know, people knew it was around. You know, somewhat similar to the later, you know, chupacabra sightings, you know, down in Puerto Rico and uh, Mexico. Well, since you brought that up, I will just add, you know, scientists are very arrogant. They always think they're right no matter what. And I mean, again, nobody's ever caught a dinosaur to actually examine. So who's to say maybe they didn't jump around like a kangaroo? We don't know. But, you know, that's just, uh, again, today they, they don't think they would do that. But until we see a dinosaur for real, you know, who knows how they moved? Well, and considering all the different species and types you know uh creatures that look like dinosaurs but weren't you know aren't officially <laughs> uh, dinosaurs uh you know i mean they they could have moved in all kinds of, uh, of different ways i mean there was just a story i read uh, uh, yesterday about the possibility that uh, uh, was it, sauropods when they were in water would walk around on uh, their front two feet and let their backsides float in the water because they found tracks in Texas hmm. that uh, that seem seem to indicate that you know something that was first suggested I, I think back in the forties but then you know was dismissed but now once again you know the the theory is being brought back because of these tracks actually so you just never can tell excellent I'm going to write that down for one of my future books it's just a good example of that that's excellent. One of the things that uh, uh, you wrote about uh, in your book was the, and I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this uh, correctly. The is the the piasta uh, <laughs> uh, a, a painting along the was it the Mississippi River in uh, uh, Illinois. Yeah, don't feel bad. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I think it's piasta. I guess the piasta. Piasta, yeah. But uh, you know, supposedly the Native Americans believed that there was a you know like a, a giant flying monster you know in that area for a long time. Uh, but and this is something you you know that uh, you may not know that uh, in that area, starting from that very location in Illinois, was a huge wave of like giant Thunderbird sightings that uh, stretched, you know, started from like the Mississippi stretch across Illinois and then, you know, into Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania. That, yeah. There was that redheaded kid, uh, Marlon, something who got picked up by the Thunderbird in the seventies. Yeah. Yes. And that was an Right, right. And uh, that that was part of that wave that started around that location. So, you know, I, I often wonder whether or not, you know, these types of sightings do occur in cycles. You know, the all of the ones that, uh, you know, you reported about in the, you know, the Old West in the 19th century, part of this cycle, it wanes for a while, then it picks up again. We're going to pick this up in our next segment. More to come with John, Gene, Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. 
Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. You've heard that supply lines are down or moving slow. Or moving slow. And that most everything costs more these days. Costs more these days. But good news. High-quality Sunny Bay products are in stock and ready to ship now because they're made in the USA. Like our extra-long neck heating pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs, are microwavable, and come in a variety of colors and patterns. What a great gift. An extra-long neck heating pad from Sunny Bay. Also available in lavender scented. Buy now in time for the holidays and avoid any shipping delays. Available on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, and sunny-bay.com. Just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. They're great for men or women, are reusable, and easy to clean. So this year, give the gift of pain relief. An extra-long neck wrap from Sunny Bay. Remember, just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Order now when our stock is high and shipping is fast. And happy holidays from Sunny Bay. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? Ninety-two thousand dollars. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now 800 503-8625 800-503-8625 800-503-8625 i represent low-cost airlines and we know a lot of you are not traveling right now and we understand however if you do need to travel between now and the end of the year now is a great time to lock in some of the lowest prices we've seen in a lifetime hey in normal times we can save you up to 75 percent but now airlines are practically giving away seats we have inside deals on over 500 airlines. Here are a few sample round trip deals we found. Seattle to Vegas, $35. Chicago to Atlanta, $85. Los Angeles to Atlanta, 100 bucks. Of course, there are some limitations, but the airlines want your business right now. And cancellation and change fees are flexible. So, fly somewhere this year, book now, 
Save a ton. Call right now. 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. This is Jacques Vallée, you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So you were talking about the cycles of such reports. Tim Swartz, go ahead, please. I then then threw it to John. John, Yeah, no, (laughs) you got me excited. I do have things to say about that. There, There are definitely cycles and patterns. I have a friend who's, uh, it's not Lyle Blackburn, it's some, Lyle Blackburn's the better known lizard man investigator, but my friend is uh, <laughs> John Stamey, and, and John, I think, is the one who figured out that lizard man is only sighted during extreme droughts for some reason, which is an interesting uh, you know pattern to notice. You were more likely to see a UFO on St. John's Day, June 24th, than any other day of the year, who knows why. Um, you are more likely to encounter either a ghost, a fairy, or an alien UFO at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. That is when most people have their strange paranormal sightings. So, I mean, absolutely, there are patterns to these things, and they they have to mean something. We just don't know what. And uh, Lauren Coleman wrote a, an interesting article about that. I think he called it the Twilight Language, and, and John Keel really got into all that. So, yeah, there's definitely something there. Tony, you talked about uh, uh, the lizard man. I mean, that's uh, – uh, Have you? did you run across any cases similar to the modern-day lizard man in, uh, you know, the uh, cowboys versus dinosaurs? <laughs> yes, I did. So, so like I said earlier, you know, I've, I found enough material for sub, several books. And one of the books that I did do – I just collected all the stories I found from the South, and I called it Southerners and Saurians, and that is out. It's completed. And I did find an episode, uh, an article about a lizard man. I, th- I think, though, they used the term alligator man instead of lizard man. But same description, same size, same amount of toes, I think. It was cited in 1892, then cited, and it was in, uh, I believe, South Carolina. You know, I mix up South Carolina and North Carolina. My memory. Do you remember which one Lizard Man was sighted in? Was it North or South? I'm pretty sure it's North Carolina, but I'm like I'm like you. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, I I want to say though that this 1892 Lizard Man was the same state. I just couldn't remember which Carolina it was. It was one of them. But that was very interesting. And again, it was my friend John. I think he was. Uh, doing some research to see if he could figure out if the 1892 sighting also occurred during a drought. And it seems like he found out that it was, but, but yeah, short answer. Yeah. Oh, found a lizard man story from the 1800s. Well, maybe it's like the uh, walking catfish, you know, when things dry up, it leaves, uh, <laughs> it leaves a lake or swamp where it's been living to try to find wetter climates. Why is there actually such a thing? Are you pulling my leg or I've, I've never heard of that in New Mexico. Uh, Walking catfish? Yeah. 
It's not New Mexico. Uh, I, it's Florida, I think, but they're an invasive species from somewhere okay. else. Yeah, I'd never heard of those. Oh yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're they're terrible, and that's that's what makes them terrible is that if uh, uh, things start to dry up, they're able to get out of the water and kind of like you know flop for quite a distance to uh, uh, you know a new habitat. That's why they're not appreciated in Florida, yeah. much, much like a lot of uh, other invasive uh, species. So uh, I'm not sure if uh, if dinosaurs have uh, have gone on that list yet in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Though there have been a lot of, uh, like, uh, sea serpent sightings, you know, in the, uh, in the Florida waters. Uh, again, very reminiscent of uh, a lot of the uh, accounts that you have in your books, you know, the uh, humps and the uh, the long neck with the, uh, the little head on top. You know, again, I would think that there has to be some credibility to a lot of these sightings considering that uh, the, the people reporting them didn't have access to internet or popular press like we do today. What do you think about that, John? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, um, not a lot of, I did find some interesting Florida stories, but they're not super interesting. You know, they're just like you said, typical, you saw the humps and the head come out of the water and stuff like that. And I, uh, I do include the not real interesting stories, but I, I do tend to look for the, uh, the more exciting ones, and I, I think you all will probably find this one interesting because I'm sure you you probably like the movie Valley of Guanji. <laughs> uh, that was going to be my next question. In fact. Oh, good, good. Okay, so we're on the same wavelength. Well, yeah. go ahead and ask it just in case I'm on a different train of thought. But. Well, no, no, no. I you know I was just I, I was going to bring up you know, because when. Um, I ran across your your books, and I have to admit that I ran across your you know like uh, Godzilla and Japanese monster books first, uh, but then your uh, uh, cowboys uh, versus uh, Saurian books, my mind immediately went to Ray Harryhausen's The Valley of Guanji, so that's uh, that's yeah. that's where I was going with it. Well, yeah, and what's so cool is how uh, life does imitate art. Although in this case, you know, well, okay, so Valley of Guanji. It was finished by Ray Harryhausen, but uh, Willis O'Brien is the one who actually came up with the idea. And Willis O'Brien, you know, he was pretty old. He he would have actually dated back to the Old West. I think he – I can't remember what year he was born in. I feel bad. But I know he was – I believe Willis O'Brien was a young man during what we could call the Western era. I think he did ride horses and things like that. So he had a very vested interest in the West. And uh, he came up with the idea for Valley of Guanji. Okay, Willis yeah, okay. O'Brien, Willis Harold O'Brien, was born March 2nd, 1886. So, yeah, he was okay. young, but he would have hung out in the Old West. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for confirming that for me, because I, I was thinking, uh, but again, you know, so many books, it's just hard to recall all the details. But uh, I do I do think that maybe he based Valley of Guanji on you know, not a true story, but just it was inspired by things possibly that he had heard. And uh, what I do know is this. I think this is so funny. So, you know, with Valley of Guanji, everybody thinks of the famous scene where they rope the Allosaurus and all that. Well, how Valley of Guanji begins is they find a prehistoric horse called the Eohippus, and they capture that. And the little tiny Eohippus kind of leads the characters into the hidden valley, 
Well, I think it's so cool. I, I found out that in the Grand Canyon, they had a similar uh, legend um, of pygmy horses that they thought might have been prehistoric remnants because um, they would see these little miniature horses in a certain valley in the Grand Canyon, or, or I think it was maybe a certain plateau in the Grand Canyon area, actually. And uh, they even sent out uh, an expedition for them. I think the Smithsonian sent it out in the 1930s. And the, they did find pygmy horses, but they weren't the uh, the Ohippus. I think they were just these little horses that had, through years of breeding, had just gotten very, very small. But anyways, though, in kind of in the same area of Havaisupai, however you say it, they did find the, a dinosaur petroglyph uh, etched onto a, a, a cliff a wall, and it very clearly depicted uh, some sort of theropod dinosaur standing up, um, which a Native American had drawn. And so, you know, to me, that's kind of like the closest you can get to the, the real-life Valley of Guanji, uh, outside of also, you know, the... The uh, pterodactyl they supposedly shot outside of Tombstone. But uh, oddly enough, I even found some stuff that was similar to uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' The Land That Time Forgot, kind of in the uh, Yukon region. Because uh, Land That Time Forgot you know, is, is famous because it's the uh, island surrounded by these ice walls. But when you get over the ice walls, you get into this land of dinosaurs as well. They had uh, several articles spread out over many years, uh, kind of from the Alaska-Yukon region of this lost land, which was mostly surrounded by snow and ice uh, until you got to this volcanic crater that had uh, melted the snow, and it kind of had a more, um, I wouldn't say tropical environment, but it was just a much warmer environment, and there were explorers who claimed that they found it, and some of them claimed they would see mammoths there. At least one claimed they saw Tyrannosaurus rex there. I, I think that one's probably made up. But um, again, it's just interesting that uh, you can find uh, real-life equivalents to your favorite sci-fi movies sometimes. Well, certainly Edgar Rice Burroughs was influenced by real things written by real people like the legends of the hollow earth. Mm-hmm. He cited those in setting up the frame for Pellicitor series. And then Ray Palmer took Pellicitor and created this whole series of articles for his Flying Saucers magazine, a factual magazine, as most people know, and created the theory about the hollow earth. So there you go. I have some other questions about theories and things that we want to ask of John LeMay, our guest this week. Tim Swartz is our special, special, very special guest co-host. He paid me to say that. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. 
It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. John LeMay, one thing we haven't really touched upon, maybe you don't, what does mainstream science say about the stories of dinosaurs being seen over the years? Well, they're always going to reject the idea, same way as uh, you used to would find tons and tons of articles where people would say, I dug up the bone of a giant, and they were absolutely positive. It wasn't a dinosaur bone. It was like a giant human femur or a giant human skull. Tons of articles about it. Uh, No actual giant bones, though, on display at the Smithsonian, and that's why a lot of people think that the Smithsonian and kind of mainstream science in league with the government for whatever weird nefarious reason they they cover up certain things. And most of the public, I don't think, has that much trust in the government or science anymore. So it's it's not terribly surprising to think that they would suppress the truth about dinosaurs the same way as for many years they've suppressed the truth about UFOs and flying saucers. Yeah, but unknown species of animals. That would seem to be something that would be embraced by mainstream science. I understand about UFOs because there's a possibility we're being visited by ET and that has all sorts of ramifications. But if you find an animal that we thought had been extinct for a couple of million years and here it is, that would sound cool. But what do I I know? Well, I think that's the problem, especially with Bigfoot, is so many people see it, but where are the bodies? A lot of researchers now will say that Bigfoot somehow exists in another dimension and somehow for a few hours or a few minutes drifts into our plane of reality and then they drift back into their plane of reality and that's why people see them, but they can never actually find a body. So that's usually too much for most people and and for most scientists, I think. Well, to me, I mean, uh, it's... It kind of makes 
sense and in kind of a warped way, I suppose, you know, uh, going back to the dinosaur sightings. I mean, here you have uh, years and years of people seeing these things. I mean, you know, go all the way back to these old newspaper accounts to modern times that, uh, sure, some of these cases may be hoaxes, uh, but a lot of them seem to be credible. So where are these things you know, uh, uh, hiding? It, it, it does. It, it seems almost like they're able to, you know, step out of some kind of uh, a dimensional doorway, you know, run around crushing cactus and uh, jump back in disappear for a while yeah and tim you keep jogging my memory for the best stuff so in australia (laughs) australia is the only place where i know this is a thing australia's dinosaur sightings are totally different than anywhere else's because in australia they will see the dinosaur slowly vanish into thin air Mm. and it's it's rex gilroy who always writes about these things and Rex Gilroy thinks that there's time windows, or whatever you'd call them, in Australia, and the dinosaurs slip in and out of them. And sometimes he said that people will also look through the time window, and they can see into the age of the dinosaurs, and it will close up. And so, in the absence of finding an actual dinosaur body, that, I suppose, under the circumstances, makes more sense than anything, that maybe some of these dinosaur sightings are creatures that somehow slip in and out of time for whatever reason. And, and time is something we, at least the general public, know very little about. But well, of course, there are those that- British sci-fi series, Primeval. Oh, yeah. It's about dimensional portals that take you to some prehistoric past. Yeah, I'd heard of that, and I'd never seen it, so I'll have to check that out. Well, let's just say it was a low-budget show. Oh, <laughs> It wasn't a bad show. It wasn't, there it were a wasn't, couple of them, no, it actually. It wasn't too bad. It was pretty good. There were a couple of them they had, and they lasted, what, two or three seasons? Well, and, you know, it makes you wonder, though, whether or not some of these people, like in Australia, may have uh, seen something similar, being able to peer through these doorways and decided to take maybe a step too far. And that's where you get a lot of these missing uh, 411 cases. Yeah can step in but you can't step out i can't wait i'm sorry gene i can't wait (laughs) Uh, no but you'd never end up at some place that you would uh you'd want to (laughs) go you'd end up uh you know like black plague london or someplace fun like that (laughs) have you ever explored anything like that where people get lost in some kind of time distortion I know someone who claims that they've they've stepped through a portal before and they said it wasn't fun and said the human body isn't really built for that. I haven't gotten deep into that, though. Uh, the, the only thing I've come close to researching is just the stories of uh, Ambrose Bierce, an uh, early 20th century writer, or maybe late, late 19th century writer who wrote about uh, Orion Williamson, who walked across a field and vanished into thin air, and for many years people thought that was a true story and didn't realize it was just a a story that Bierce had made up. But the the irony, though, is in the end, Bierce himself uh, vanished without his trace, and people don't know where his body is or what happened to him. And it, that's the closest I've ever uh, gotten to investigating portals and things like that. No, I want to know. I want to know about your friend who uh, who had the experience. So um, she, she's on our on a podcast I'm on pretty often, once a month, called Scary, Cra- Scary Cast. 
Uh, her name's Robin, and she's she's a psychic. She uh, she says uh, she can see Bigfoot quite often, and she's the one who who really taught me about Bigfoot and portals. And because it's it's one thing to you know maybe read these comments online or or hear people tell stories, but when you talk to someone who's clearly a a normal level headed individual and they tell you about all these you know strange things, it kind of changes your perspective because they're not you know, what you would consider crazy. You know, I mean, they, they're a normal person. Yeah. So Robin was the one who told me that she had stepped through a a portal once and she just said it wasn't pleasant. And, uh, and that was her comment was the human body's not designed for that. And so that's the, like I said, the only person I've ever known that stepped through a portal. But uh, again, most people who uh, see UFOs and stuff like that, they're not, odd people usually you know they're they're just a normal person who saw something very strange um and that's not to say i mean you do obviously meet a lot of uh crazy people who are crazy and <laughs> i think you can tell when they're crazy when they talk like i do and they just talk really fast nonstop. you know i mean that's usually uh, the giveaway that they're crazy um but that's just kind of my radio persona i i go into to fill up the airtime, just keep talking and talking. Well, if you talk fast enough, we won't get to ask you questions. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this way you can avoid the questions. You just keep talking. But you see here yeah. at the Paracast, yeah. we don't let you get away with that. Have you run into situations there where the people you talk to, and obviously you're communicating with a lot of people because of all the books you've written, are putting you on? Yeah, I worry about that. I, I do worry about who might be putting me on. Um, but I'll say this, though. The the person that I interviewed who has the coolest, quote-unquote, craziest story of all, which is the alien ghost, uh, one of the sweetest, most normal people I ever met. So Roswell has an alien ghost. And, I mean, if you ever thought I was being put on, it would you would probably think it's the person who told me the story of the alien ghost. Well, here's the story of the, the alien ghost. Uh, you know, in 1947, after the saucer crash, they allegedly took the bodies to the air base and they, they you know, stored them at a time uh, at the base hospital, naturally. Um, and supposedly one of the aliens died there. Well, the base hospital was retrofitted to become the New Mexico Rehabilitation Center. And it was in operation up until around the early 2000s. And I went there one night to interview the night nursing staff at midnight just because that's when most of them work. And, um, they all, all of the staff unanimously agreed that, uh, yes, there were ghosts in the building. Um, they all, all of their stories lined up, you know, I didn't feel like they were putting me on and, you know, and this was 2009. I had only written one book back then. It wasn't like I was any type of well-known author that they would even want to put on. You know, I was just kind of still still a, a little nobody back then. But, you know, we're going to find out what happened after that in our next segment with John, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. 
Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on this special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Folks, looks like food shortages are here and going to stick around. Supply chains are breaking down, and inflation is back with a vengeance. It's all part of the shortage economy. What used to be unthinkable is now in the headlines. Are you ready? Do you currently have a stockpile of emergency food at home? If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com today, and you'll find an emergency food kit that's right for you and your family. My Patriot Supply is the largest preparedness company in America, serving millions of families like yours. Pick up a three-month food kit that stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. The meals in the kit provide over 2,000 delicious calories a day. That's important when you need to survive. Order from MyPatriotSupply.com and your food will ship fast in unmarked boxes to protect your privacy. Don't wait for permission or more empty store shelves. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com now. MyPatriotSupply.com Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who've helped people that have been injured or wronged. Have you been diagnosed with cancer? Are you one of the millions who have taken Zantac or other generic versions of this popular drug to help treat stomach issues? Then pay close attention to this message. The FDA said it detected low levels of a probable cancer-causing chemical known as NDMA in Zantac and other generic forms of this popular drug. They've banned sales and even removed it from the market. If you've been diagnosed with cancer and you've taken Zantac or a generic equivalent, call the legal helpline now. You could receive a free cash award and have your medical expenses covered. And there's no upfront cost to you. They only get paid if you win. So please call now. 800 998 7173 How can you protect your family? Find out at PestWorld.org. A message from the National Pest Management Association and the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. 
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So when you started writing books, you were an unknown John LeMay. And then what happened? Yeah, it was 2009. I'd only had like one book published. and I, I went to the New Mexico Rehabilitation Center, which was the former hospital where the, the alien bodies were allegedly taken after the Roswell UFO crash. And uh, the staff there all spoke with me, and they all agreed that there were ghosts in the building. Most of them you know, were just human ghosts. But there was one nurse there named uh, Josephine Moronis, and she told me that in uh, 1997 she did see uh, a different type of ghost. She said it was a very small stature. It was swaddled in, in bandages, if I'm remembering this right. It had the eyes like a like a, an alien, the big black eyes. And she said that it gave her a, a, a moment of paralysis where she couldn't move, and then it kind of faded out of uh, her view. And, you know, that was her alien ghost sighting. And I think she saw it again a few nights later. You know, to circle back to what I was saying, you know, this is a very normal person. It's not someone who I felt was putting me on or, or someone who is quote-unquote crazy. You know, to me, she seemed like anybody else I would meet in Roswell. Because Roswell, everybody jokes about it, but people in Roswell are, are really pretty normal. It's probably the tourists that are odder than anyone. Local Roswellians are pretty normal. That's funny because I've had uh, uh, several people who worked at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base report uh, similar ghostly sightings of a uh, what appeared to be the ghost of a, a gray alien in uh, certain uh, areas of the base. So, you know, it's... Uh, I didn't know there were others, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, some other people have uh, uh, reported on it, but I knew I knew some people who, you know, were, you know, non-coms that, that worked at uh, Wright-Patterson and uh, give me, you know, pretty similar reports, uh, you know, similar... Uh, um, um, you know, visually of, of whatever this this ghostly figure was. There was another uh, uh, one of the other things that uh, you sent me, John, about uh, uh, Roswell. Stick with this question and Roswell. Roswell history apart from the UFO crash involving some Wild West characters and how they tie into the UFO crash in interesting ways. Oh, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. So where I got my start uh, in terms of writing books was just Roswell's basic general history. And uh, I'm a big proponent for our local historical museum, which which is called the Historical Society for Southeast New Mexico. So if you visit Roswell and you stop off at the UFO Museum, I also encourage you to visit our local historical museum, which kind of uh, promotes the old Western history of the town. Roswell, you know, now it's all UFOs and stuff, but back in the old West days, we actually did have some famous Western figures live here. Um, Probably the easiest point of reference is a 1970 John Wayne movie called Chisholm. You know, had to do with Billy the Kid and all that. But, you know, Billy the Kid is more associated with the town of Lincoln and Fort Sumner. But Roswell was the home of John Chisholm, the famous cattle baron that John Wayne plays in the movie. Kind of a larger-than-life figure. And Roswell was also the home of Pat Garrett, who shot Billy the Kid 
1881. When I mentioned, though, the UFO connection, you know, New Mexico is a small state. So Pat Garrett, he was assassinated in 1908 as part of a little local conspiracy. Some politicians wanted to get rid of Pat Garrett. And uh, what they did, it actually involved goats, as odd as this sounds. They set up a guy named Brazil, a guy named Jesse uh, Brazil, Hmm. to lease Garrett's uh, land he rented to him and put goats on it. Cattlemen hated goats because goats would eat not only the grass but the roots of the grass, and then they would ruin their land. So they knew that when this guy moved the goats onto Garrett's land, he would become so enraged. And uh, their plan was to be able to say that, well, Garrett was so mad, he tried to shoot Jesse Brazil. So Jesse Jesse Brazil had to shoot him back. So that's basically the official story as to what happened is uh, Pat Garrett and Jesse Brazil were arguing. And the story goes that Jesse Brazil shot uh, Pat Garrett. But in fact, everybody says that Pat Garrett was really shot by an assassin kind of hiding out in the bushes. So that's why I say, you know, it's a conspiracy. But uh, what I think is ironic is years later, uh, Jesse Brazil's, uh, it's either his cousin or his second cousin, something like that. His cousin was involved in a conspiracy as well, and that was Mac, Bra- Mac Brazil, the rancher who found the uh, UFO debris in 1947. And it is pronounced Brazil because I met some of his relatives only last uh, weekend, and I had always called him Mac Brazil. And they said, no, it's Mac Brazil. But anyway, so the guy who found the UFO debris and the guy who shot Pat Garrett or helped shoot Pat Garrett, whatever, they're both related, which is just interesting. That's very interesting. That is. That, that's very interesting. I, and, I, and there's I one love. more, too. If, if, do we have time for one more? Oh, yeah, go for it. Okay. The other interesting connection is, so again, let's go to uh, between 1947 and 1950, uh, New Mexico's governor, his name was Thomas Mabry. And I, you know, being the governor of New Mexico in 1947, I'm sure he had to know about the UFO crash. And there are stories that the lieutenant governor of New Mexico, uh, I think his name was Joe Montoya, he was at the Roswell Air Base when the crash happened and allegedly saw the bodies. So I would think if the lieutenant governor was privy to all this, then the governor, Thomas Mabry, would also be privy to it. So, um, Again, that was 1947. Then in 1949, something else odd happened to Governor Mabry. He had a a man come and visit him who claimed that he was Billy the Kid. He said that Pat Garrett didn't really shoot him, that Garrett had shot someone else back in 1881, and he had actually fled to Mexico and survived all these years, and his name was Brushy Bill Roberts. And he met with Governor Mabry Mabry about uh, getting a pardon, and um, I guess the point I'm trying to get to is it's possible then that Governor Mabry not only saw aliens, but he met Billy the Kid. It's possible. <laughs> you hear a lot of stories like that. I mean, it's like uh, um, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sun Dance Kid. You know, they were supposedly killed, yet more than likely fled to uh, Bolivia. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's the first time I've heard the story, though, about Billy the Kid. Yeah, I know there was uh, there was several people who came forward and claimed that they were Jesse James along mm-hmm. a similar vein. You know that uh, that that he hadn't been you know actually assassinated. That he had actually just you know 
changed identities and went undercover. Well, and this is what's interesting, too. The, the man who claimed he was Jesse James, uh, J. Frank Dalton, he was friends with Brushy Bill Roberts, so that's kind of odd. But then it gets even stranger. So Brushy Bill Roberts, he visited Billy the Kid's grave in Fort Sumner in uh, 1950. Uh, about a, exactly a month later, Billy the Kid's tombstone is stolen. <laughs> and where do they find Billy the Kid's tombstone? They find it in Granbury, Texas in the year 1976. Yeah. We'll get into more about okay. <laughs> these strange tombstones and more these Western legends with John, Tim, and Gene. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Have you ever thought about turning your Glock, XD Family, or 1911 handgun into a semi-automatic carbine? It only takes about 30 seconds. The MacTech carbine upper is classified as an accessory and can be delivered right to your doorstep with no FFL or background check required. It's the world's most versatile pistol accessory. Build your custom upper today. Simply go to handgunconversion.com. That's handgunconversion.com. USA Radio News. I'm Brad Bernards. While Roe v. Wade has been Supreme Court precedent for 50 years, it is standing its biggest legal test right now. According to constitutional law expert Alan Dershowitz on Newsmax, as Mississippi seeks to move the timetable on abortion restrictions. He says the choice is between either overruling Roe v. Wade or the middle ground position of upholding Mississippi, but not overruling. But what if Roe v. Wade is overruled? A cataclysmic political event in America. Congress would try to pass a statute first, making abortion a federal right. It would become a major issue in the 2022 midterms and then in the 2024 presidential. The White House announced on Saturday that President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin will talk next week amid a Russian military buildup on the border with Ukraine. This is USA Radio News. A Greek Orthodox priest on Saturday shouted, Pope, you are a heretic at Francis in Athens. A man with a long white beard wearing black robes and a black hat was taken away by police after shouting at the Pope as he entered the Orthodox Archbishopric. Francis arrived in Greece on Saturday to visit the Greek Roman Catholics in an effort to bring together the Eastern and Western churches. CNN announced late Saturday afternoon the cable network has fired host Chris Cuomo effective immediately, following an investigation into Cuomo using his journalism contacts to help defend his brother, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, when he was facing numerous allegations of sexual assault by female staffers. Andrew Cuomo resigned in disgrace last August. This is USA Radio News. 
Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pau Diarco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus doesn't grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system. And it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit ShopSuperTea.com. That's Shop, S-H-O-P, Super, S-U-P-E-R, T-T-E-A, dot com. So the complete website is ShopSuperTea.com. Or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, California time. That's ShopSuperTea.com at 818-984-6100. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Heck, next we'll be talking about the Lone Ranger. <laughs> Rides again. The Lone Ranger meets Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> and of course, you know, the Lone Ranger was an ancestor of the Green Hornet. Is that canon? Like, did they make that a canon fact? Yes. Wow, that's cool. Remember, the last yeah, name is Reed, that. right? Family name, Reed. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Go on. Yes, we were talking about Billy the Kid's tombstone and Jesse James and all this wild stuff. So, Right, wild so anyways, stuff, Billy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Billy the Kid's tombstone, stolen in 1950. Covered in 1976 in a little town called Granbury, which wouldn't be weird. Except, Granbury, Texas is right next to Heiko, Texas, where Brushy Bill lived and he died. And in Granbury, Texas, is buried J. Frank Dalton, who claimed to be Jesse James. And also in Granbury, Texas, back in 1870, is where John Wilkes Booth allegedly fled, because he didn't die either, and he became a bartender in Granbury, so... There's a lot of weird stuff in Granbury in terms of outlaws who didn't really die, and nobody knows why they all converged on this one town or, or why people chose to make up stories and set them in Granbury, but it's something very odd. Well, certainly we have legends all through the years. I know that over at the old Art Bell Coast to Coast show, and you've been on Coast to Coast, I understand, John, but the original host, he had somebody on there who claimed to be Jim Morrison of the Doors, who did not die at the age of 27, but lived on. They said, of course, that Elvis didn't die. But, you know, I mean, some of this gets ridiculous. There was a movie where they show a short version of John Lennon still being alive in a universe where the Beatles never existed. I miss that one. Yeah. I guess... uh, uh Need to go and look, and I, you know, uh, uh, Elvis and Tupac and uh, Michael Jackson all uh, sharing an apartment there in Texas. The film, by the way, is called Yesterday. Okay. I've seen that. Yes, yes, I have seen that. All right. And it's about this guy who has the songs, he brings the songs out, and he becomes famous, and finally has to admit that he just heard them. And then he meets somebody at the end who is supposedly an elderly John Lennon, 
except the guy was probably half a foot shorter than the real John Lennon, who was something like 5'10 or 5'11. <laughs> I never could explain that, but I guess they wanted it to look ridiculous. <laughs> There's actually a whole internet thing about uh, a guy who claimed that he discovered, and I think it's, uh, again, it's like, you know, like an, a, a dimensional hopping uh, type of thing where uh, he went to a reality where the Beatles never broke up and came back with a uh, cassette tape of new Beatles songs that uh, if, you, if you look for it, if you Google it, you'll run across it and whoever hoax this and did the editing with these songs did a really good job mm. their original fakes i don't know how, how you would describe them you know sounds like the beatles but uh you know songs that supposedly you know came from uh, another reality well you know there is a series of books that bryce zabel has written mm. one of which was what if jfk had not been killed what would have happened, what was going on, the political cross-currents, and what if the Beatles never broke up? The big reason I think history shows with the Beatles that they broke up was Alan Klein. If they hadn't hooked up with Alan Klein and hadn't had that dispute, they might have separated to do their own thing then gotten together. That, I think, might have actually happened had John Lennon not been killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not an alternate reality. That's this one. That's this one, right? <laughs> Since we were talking about uh, Roswell, the ghost of Roswell, things like that, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, uh, circle back around. I mean, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the show, uh, but you, you, you've got the book, "The Real Cowboys and Aliens: The Lost Cases." That it looks like it just uh, uh, came out. Uh, at the beginning of November. Uh, is that right, John? Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Noe and I's latest. That's uh, okay, okay. And uh, um, so, uh, I mean, are you? F- did you uncover cases much like the uh, uh, the, the the Sorian cases, where uh, uh, from uh, old newspapers of uh, you know people having encounters with uh, supposed uh, extraterrestrials? I mean, even that far back before people were even thinking about extraterrestrials. Yes, uh, like I said, yeah, Noe and I just scour these uh, newspaper websites. Like news, There's Newspaper Archive, and then there's also just newspaper.com. Again, yeah, you have to pay for, you know, subscription, but you just type in airship, um, you know, and see what pops up. Uh, you couldn't type in UFO, nothing will pop up for that, you know. And you, actually, if you type in alien, nothing will come up. Mm. I didn't really talk about aliens back then. You'd have to type in a different keyword, like visitor from mars or, or, or something like that well yeah so what lost cases really means is these were just cases that noe and i didn't find for us when we were doing our first run of the book series because we we were trying to go in chronological order we did three main volumes the first volume was 1800 to 1864 second one was like 65 to 95 volume three was uh set during the great airship wave um, that took place between 1896 and 1897. So for that one, we were able to fill a whole book just on those two years. But that was our, our original, you know, series that we thought we found everything. So the lost cases is just stuff where 
uh, it's a story that we missed, or maybe it's a story that's uh, maybe not totally alien related. Like I was talking about Ambrose Bierce earlier. That's one of the chapters in Lost Cases about his strange disappearance and. Um, found another story about how Pancho Villa allegedly found a crystal skull in Mexico. <laughs> and, you know, again, you can't necessarily say that crystal skulls are related to aliens, but most people think they are. So, like I said, they're, they're stories that are kind of tangential to UFOs and aliens, or, or they're stories we just missed the first time. Or, but, yeah, that is the newest book, Real Cowboys and Aliens, The Lost Cases. <laughs> again, I think that uh, a lot of people would be surprised that uh, there would be so many cases that you would actually be able to write a series of books on, yep. uh, you know, on incidents that occurred before, you know, what's traditionally known as the modern UFO era. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and got, it's got everything. You've even got old Mothman sightings. Uh, really? Just everything you can imagine, all sorts of cool stuff. You know, they just didn't call him Mothman, but it's, yeah. it's the same type of description. I know uh, you've you've got listed here on uh, the, the the coming of the airships books uh, on uh, uh, Amazon, which uh, I should point out that uh, all of your books uh, are uh, available on Amazon. Uh, you've got uh, most were piloted by normal human beings, including a few men in black. Are you able to elaborate a little bit on that one? Yeah. Um, so it, that was probably the biggest shocker was how many. And in black stories we found from the old West era, um, we could almost we're, we're kind of contemplating just doing an old West men in black book if we can find a few more. Wow. But yeah, the, every so often uh, there would be men in black sighted uh, in conjunction with the airships. And uh, this is something else that most people, the general public don't know about the men in black because they, they perceive this from the, uh, you know, the comical movie series with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. But of course, we all also remember the Men in Black from Gray Barker, where it kind of sort of started, at least in the modern era. And speaking of Gray Barker, we do have an interview with him from the 1960s, Bob Zanotti's Coffee Clutch program in our repositories for Paracast Plus listeners. Check the Paracast.plus for more information about signing up. We've got more with John... Gene and Tim, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about after the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about 
Paracast Plus. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Extendivite really works. Here are some reviews from Amazon.com. John Hess, 5 out of 5 stars. Awesome. Probably my only review, but at age 40, I was getting bad heart throb and left arm pain, mainly before bed. I even stopped smoking and drinking sodas for a month, and that didn't work. After one day of taking Extendivite, it was gone and hasn't returned in three years. I've ordered Extendivite 13 times, so Amazon just said... Juliet Hordick. I've ordered this product before in liquid form. It is fantastic. My whole family's been on it. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, formerly Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, Air National Guard and Reservist. I'm looking for veterans, active duty military personnel to join the 90 for Life Crusade to save America. She needs your skills, courage, and loyalty more than ever. Contact GCNteam.com. Because of the financial and health care collapse, veterans are currently struggling finding jobs. Frustrated looking for a job? Change your tactics. Join the 90 for Life Crusade to save America. Start a health care business with FDI Longevity 90 for Life Crusade. Contact GCNteam.com immediately. We're looking for military specialists who can use a computer and communicate information and execute a battle plan. Join the admirals, Navy SEALs, Marines, pilots, Army officers, military police, sheriffs, police officers, firemen, and first responders already enrolled in the 90 for Life Crusade. Contact GCNteam.com now. FDI Longevity will help you apply your military skills to the task of saving America through health and financial programs. Contact GCNteam.com. Enlist in GCNteam.com and save America. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Tell us more about Men in Black, but not the Men in Black that we have all read about. Yeah, Gene, you mentioned Gray Barker, and, you know, I can't remember names at this point, but I think that's who I was going to talk about next, is Gray Barker the guy who saw the men in black like materialize in his room and they smell no. like sulfur. Oh, that would be more Albert K. Bender. Okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Thank you. Yeah. Cause I, that's what I wanted to say. You know, people think of the men in black as just these government agents, but uh, the first sightings of them were kind of like ghosts and poltergeists. They had supernatural powers. 
Well, and- Albert K. Bender said he thought they were space people. Okay. That was his opinion about that. But the impression that he created, at least in his communications with Gray Barker, for the book they knew too much about flying saucers from the 1950s, was that they were government agents. Ah. So with the Old West cases, that's a hard one. In the Old West, uh, most of those sightings, a few of them had kind of the supernatural aspect, just like uh, the one we were talking about. But some of them were as simple as the men in black were the pilots of the UFOs. And uh, my favorite one does actually remind me of the men in black movies, because you remember in the movies they would have their special cars that could go like super fast and they could fly. Well, I can't believe it. But I found an actual... Real newspaper article. Couldn't have been hoaxed because, I mean, it's in the old newspaper. And it sounds just like the movie, only in the Old West. So a father and son observed uh, a man in black get into a buggy, you know, like a horse and buggy carriage, except for it didn't have a horse. And this buggy, they claimed, went super fast and then flew off into the air, which, again, makes me think of their cars from the movie, except for this was a horse and buggy without a horse, and it flew. And again, it was a man in black piloting it. There it is in the middle of all these other articles from the time that are normal. So, I mean, it's not like an article that somebody planted on me and Noe. You know, we saw it in the middle of the newspaper. That's what it says. So that's the most uh, unreal men in black story that we found. That's amazing, though, because all of the uh, uh, similar modern reports about men in black, not necessarily a horseless buggy, but uh, say the uh, the black Cadillac they get into, uh, some people reported that it'll just you know fade away and disappear. And I think there's even a couple, Gene, that uh, say that the car actually flew away once the guys got inside. Now, you know, you don't hear that very often. But yeah, very, uh, very reminiscent of modern sightings. This is something that has gone on for so long, and there's so much confusion here. We have men in black that are possible spiritual or psychic beings or demonic beings, or they're government agents or maybe a combination. If you are dealing with government agents... So, I mean, you know, like the wild, wild west. I mean, you have a government agency that's been in existence since that far back. Yeah, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, who knows? The, the coincidences are astounding. It goes to show you, though, that when it comes to, you know, the world of the weird, there's really nothing new under the sun. I mean, anything that people are reporting about today, as you have shown, uh, John, in your books, you can go back and find dozens of similar cases and you can you can pick you know either from the you know, cowboys or aliens and cowboys and, and and saurians you know out of all of these cases you know is there one or two that you still you know are, are just flabbergasted you know like your favorite case and you're still just like wow i just i, I just i can't believe that but there it is yeah, I think that that's still uh, the, the Crosswicks case, just because, again, it sounds like something from a horror movie, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to kind of back it up. It's just, it's crazy. But um, in terms of some other ones that really blew my mind, I dug up one that at first I thought was just a, a, another pterodactyl sighting down in South America, because it was just about some guys outside of a mine observing the strange 
bird in the sky, and I think they said it was glowing or something like that. So as I started to really dig into the story, I found uh, it didn't sound so much like a pterodactyl. It sounded more like a creature from their local mythology. I think it was uh, specifically down in Chile somewhere. They had this uh, mythical bird called the Alicanto that would uh, kind of uh, fly around. It would be sighted near the mines. And, um, you know, that was fairly interesting in and of itself, um, but it wasn't, you know, a great way to really cap off that story. And I kept digging around, and I found out that uh, it was sighted again uh, a few weeks later, and this time they sighted it at night, and they claimed they could see that this bird was actually glowing in the sky. And then what really got me is, uh, I think, very soon after, there was a devastating earthquake. And I wish I could remember the year, but where I'm going with this is it reminded me a lot of Mothman because John Keel, in trying to tie to wrap up his Mothman story, he theorized that, well, Mothman was uh, some sort of strange visitor that was trying to warn us of the impending uh, Silver Bridge, Silver, uh, Bridge uh, Collapse disaster. You know, he, he basically made the case that Mothman was a uh, horrible omen. So, you know, I've to me, it really blew my mind that this uh, mythical bird creature uh, was an omen for the earthquake that happened. So that that was one that really blew my mind. That yeah, I mean, even let, let's say um, the bird stories, the, the glowing bird was just a made-up newspaper fabrication. I mean, the earthquakes did happen. You know, that that's historical record, and and I think the bird sightings actually happened as well. You know, that's that's interesting because uh, there have been modern-day reports of a pterodactyl type of creature being seen in uh, uh, New Guinea. And one of its characteristics is that it glows at night. It, it appears to be bioluminescent. I think that's, that's uh, an interesting connection between, uh, you know, two cryptid uh, uh, flying creature sightings. Like I say, you just jog my memory every five. You're right. I, there are a lot of uh, luminescent pterodactyl stories, and I didn't even think to include that detail in that chapter, which just embarrasses me now. But yeah, and some of us even think uh, maybe the Marfa lights of Texas. Um, what if those are bioluminescent creatures and they're not UFOs? And that's why people can see them almost every night and they move around so erratically. But yeah, bioluminescence, that's an interesting. Uh, I wrote a book along with Timothy Green Beckley about uh, lost treasures, and one of the aspects that uh, people used to look for while treasure hunting uh, were um, ghost lights or will-o'-the-wisps, because allegedly these things would appear and hover over places where treasure had been buried. And in fact, you know, the uh, the people who originally started digging at Oak Island uh, back in the uh, early 1800s, they were clued in because they saw strange lights on the island. And at that time, there supposedly wasn't anybody uh, living there. Maybe the Moffer lights, maybe somebody should uh, get their metal detectors out in that area. How about we continue some of this on after the Paracast? But in the meantime, John LeMay, do you have a website where people can find what you do? No, just I just have an Amazon page. So if you type in John LeMay under books, you should find me pretty quick. And as I say, I've got a pretty eclectic range of topics to choose from. Sounds great. And we find your books, I assume, on Amazon. Yeah, that's right. 
You can also find us on Twitter. If you look for the Paracast, look for the Paracast on Facebook. And check out branded merchandise for Paracast listeners with special logos and everything, T-shirts and throw pillows and mugs. Go to theparacast.shop, theparacast.shop. Especially now, get something almost in time for Christmas. We also offer the After the Paracast podcast if you're a subscriber to the Paracast Plus. And to find out more, go to theparacast.plus. We give you this show free of the network ads to subscribers with higher bit rate, better quality audio. The After the Paracast podcast, where you never, ever, 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 hardly ever know what's going to happen next. And by the way, John LeMay is going to be on there because we've got so many more things to talk with him about amongst all those 30 books. We have a special deal. Use the coupon code UFO20, UFO20, to save 20% on lifetime and on five-year subscriptions. The Plus. John LeMay, great to meet you. Thank you for joining us on The Paracast. Had a blast. Thank you. Featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.